Lord Jesus, on the one hand, I'm with Lori. We want this to be a church where Easter's an every Sunday occurrence, where every week we celebrate your resurrection and the power behind that and what it does to our lives. On the other hand, Lord, it's just good to have this special day, to watch videos like this and reread the text and be reminded of what this cost, what this is. So, as always, we celebrate you. It's all about you. It's all for you. It's all because of you. And we give you all the glory, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. So, I, I was, I remember reading about this years ago when Chuck Colson, remember him, was writing so many books at the time. And he was telling about a story he heard about a prison in Brazil that had, uh, had just transformed the inmates there, every one of them, through the power of the cross. It was an amazing story. It's in San Jose dos Campos. And I guess what happened was two layman Christians took over the prison and began to run the whole system with Christian principles. And here's how it worked. Each prisoner was assigned another inmate to hold each other accountable. Each prisoner either had to sign up for a chapel program or they had to take a character uh, development class. Each prisoner had to learn a trade and make money to make restitution to their victims. And each prisoner had to uh, team up with a volunteer family on the outside to watch over them while they were in and when they got out. It was an amazing system. And after his visit, Colson wrote this. He said, I found it interesting to find all the inmates smiling, even the murderer, he said, who opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas. I saw men working industriously. And all the walls, he said, were decorated with Bible verses. Now, this was quite a few years ago, and so this statistic might have even got better, but this was amazing. Up to this point, he said in the last 25 years in this prison, the, uh, the average reoffense for the inmates was 4%. 4%, that's staggering. By the way, the average in the United States is 90%. So how'd they pull that off? Well, Cosin wrote, I, I think I, I found the answer when my inmate guide escorted me to a notorious punishment cell once used only for torture. Today he told me that this block houses only one inmate. As we reached the end of the long corridor and he put the key into the lock, he, he paused and looked back at me and asked, are you sure you want to go in? Of course, I replied impatiently. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. Slowly, he swung open the massive door and I saw the prisoner in the punishment cell. It was a crucifix beautifully carved by all the inmates. The prisoner was Jesus hanging on the cross. He's doing time for all the rest of us, my guide said softly. is that amazing? I, I remember thinking at the time, why don't we do something like that in the United States? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we have forgotten the power of the cross in the United States. See, I don't want that to happen to anybody here this morning. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power, power of God. Of God. The, cro the cross is the power of God, church family. And it's not just powerful enough to forgive our sins. It's powerful enough to transform our lives. And that's good news for everybody, not just the prisoners in Brazil someplace. This is good news. The cross can not only forgive our sins, it can power give us the to, power to uh, mend broken relationships, to stop bad habits, to... Uh, to quit negative attitudes, 
to uh, work on our gifts that God's given us, to serve. The power of the cross can cause each one of us to have the power to resist bad temptations. That's why the Apostle Paul says when you become a Christian, the transforming power of the cross causes you to become a brand new creature. All the old is gone. It's amazing stuff. So this year, I thought maybe we would go back a little bit in time, back to the cross, and just look at a few lives that bumped into the cross of Jesus that day and were transformed forever. I'm talking about total transformation. These people got up in the morning expecting everything was just going to be the same, but they bumped into the cross of Jesus and everything about their life changed. And again, the good news is that transforming power is available to anybody in this room today. It's here, right here, right now. Some of you have already felt it. But if you haven't felt it yet, that's okay. Who knows, today might be the day where you're touched by the cross and the power of Jesus Christ and transformed to a brand new creation. I'm hoping that happens today. Here's the first person I want us to look at, an unsuspecting bystander by the name of Simon. I found this old video, and I wanted to show it because it's so so perfect, uh, depicting what we want to talk about the first. In Mark 15, 21, I want you to notice he was transformed from a casual observer to an active participant. A certain man from Cyrene... Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that's important later, was passing in on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, Libya was uh, a pretty large city, and it had a very large Jewish population. And evidently, uh, he was making his tracks, Simon was, to celebrate the Passover. He probably saved for years to do this. Probably been a dream of his, his whole life to be able to, to eat one Passover meal in the holy city of Jerusalem. And he shows up Friday morning, and there's this crazy parade. The streets are lined with people watching these three men being marched down to be executed. And, and uh, he can't believe it. He can't get away from it. And evidently, Jesus was so beat up and, and so weak from the beating he had taken that he couldn't carry the cross, and he fell right in front of Simon. And, and that's when Simon heard the guy say, You! Carry the cross. See, back then, uh, Roman soldiers had the authority to, to uh, volunteer any citizen for temporary service. Now, this is not why Simon came to Jerusalem. He didn't want any part of this humiliating experience, but he didn't have a choice. I love that uh, line in the song when it said, he knelt and took the cross of his Lord, carried it down the street, and the blood that he had been shedding was running down his cheek. I mean, could you just imagine that scene? And as he watched that, and saw this thing going on, the transformation, he was never the same again. It changed everything. He saw Jesus' expression. He felt his blood. Uh, he may even heard Jesus whisper a thank you when they finally got the, got, got the... And it changed everything about him. I mean, it must have. Because later on in the Bible, we read in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, remember him? Chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been like a mother to me too. Evidently, Simon... Uh, won his whole family to the Lord after this incident. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, it seems likely that this humiliating experience resulted in Simon's conversion as well as the, the conversion of his entire family. Simon showed up in Jerusalem to sacrifice his lamb to God, and he bumped in to the lamb of God, sacrificed for him, and he was never the same again. And I'm telling you, if you allow that to happen, it'd be the same thing for you. It's transforming power is amazing. And you think about it, there's a lot of people in our world like that, uh, that like Simon today. They just feel like they don't have a choice. always loved the story of Bill Weedman. He was a policeman, is a policeman, a uh, member of the SWAT team. And uh, you'll love this. 
And he also, uh, black belt in karate, and he teaches children's church in his large church where he's at. He has no discipline problem in his Sunday school classes, you might imagine. But the kids love Bill Weedman, and when they're baptized, they always want Bill to do it. And he was telling the story one time, they were in the back uh, changing room, and he was getting one of the kids ready to be baptized, and there was an adult, adult back there too with the minister. He was going to baptize him. Well, the adult back there didn't know Bill Weedman from Adam. And when Bill took off his jacket, his gun was hanging there in his holster. And he said, this guy's eyes got big as a saucer. And without missing a beat, Bill said, oh, we have a no back out policy on baptisms in this church. <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel like you don't have a choice. Sometimes you feel like you're drafted like Simon. I mean, like those inmates at Brazil, they didn't have a choice. They had to sign up for chapel. They had to hold each other accountable. Here's the deal. After that happened, they bumped into the cross of Christ. They saw how real this was, and it turned out it's the best thing that could ever happen to them. And I don't know, probably some of us ain't here today. Probably some of you are like me. Uh, you didn't voluntarily pick up the cross and follow Jesus Christ when you were younger. Your parents made you do it. I mean, I told you, I've told you all this before. When I was a teenager, I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church on Sunday night. They drugged me to church on Sunday morning. They drugged me to church on Wednesday. I was 35 years old before I saw the end of The Wizard of Oz. Because it was always on Sunday night. And when I was 35, I turned it on. I felt like a rebel. The phone rang up to my mom. She said, why aren't you at church? Now, that didn't happen, but it could have. But you know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of things. You know, you signed up for the church softball team or the church basketball team, and you found out one of the requirements was you had to go to church once a week. Now, you didn't want to go, but, you know, you wanted to play. You get in a car with a friend, and they plug in some Christian music. I mean, you're kind of forced to listen to that. You know what I mean? Or you're flat on your back in the hospital, and... A bunch of Christian yahoos like our staff comes in and lay their hands on you and pray over you and talk about Jesus. Where are you going to go to get away from that, right? And you feel like Simon, like you've been forced and drafted. I don't know, there's probably a good chance in a crowd this big this morning, there's some people here who felt like they've been drugged here today. Maybe against your will. Felt like maybe you didn't have a choice. Maybe you're like Simon today. I pray you go all the way. I pray you are like Simon who picked up the cross because they made him, but volunteered to never put it down. Because he found out how much power there was in it, how much transforming love of Christ was involved with it. I pray that happens to somebody today. Here's another bystander at the cross who was transformed, a Roman centurion, Mark 15, 39. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard him cry and saw how he died, how he, died he, said, surely, he said, surely, this was the Son of God. So here's a guy that was transformed from a hostile skeptic into a humble believer. Now we're talking about, this is the captain of the Roman execution squad. This is a brutal bunch of people. The Bible says they slapped Jesus around, they kicked him, they poked him, they spit on him, they made fun of him. Centurion and this did nothing to stop it. And probably he participated in it. It was just the boys having some fun with the Jewish insurrectionists. It's common practice. But the more he watched, the more he was impressed and amazed. This Jesus had so much composure. I mean, so much dignity, even through all this business with the crucifixion. I mean, he'd heard a lot of people uh, executed before, but he'd never seen one actually pray for the people killing, but Jesus did. And when Pilate said, I find no fault in this man, by this time this guy's thinking, you know what, I don't either. And then when it, everything got dark in the middle of the day, it was so eerie. And then the ground began to shake, and he started to tremble. 
He looked up and saw Jesus say with bold confidence, into your hand I commend my spirit. And then almost triumphantly he said, it is finished. And so the way Jesus suffered and died was so impressive, this hardened soldier was persuaded this was all real stuff. Surely this was the Son of God, he said. And you know, the cross of Jesus has transformed a lot of skeptics over the years. I mean, you think about it. You think about Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians. Remember that? He was killing Christians because he was convinced Jesus was a fake. He was killing Christians because he was convinced that that had to be stopped. It was, it was a cult and needed to be finished. And then he bumped into the risen Jesus just outside of Damascus on the road someplace. And he was transformed from a skeptic into the greatest apostle in the Bible, I think, who would later write, may I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ, through whom the world was crucified to me and I to it. Isn't that an amazing story? Hundreds of people down the years who were hardened skeptics set out to disprove Christianity, became unbelievable serving Christians. People like Sir William Ramsey, the famous archaeologist, and C.S. Lewis, the brilliant author and professor, uh, Bill Murray, the son of Madeline Murray O'Hara, how about Josh McDowell, whose uh, wife became a Christian and he did all he could to stop her, to get her out of this cult. And he's the man who wrote evidence that demands a verdict. He's probably the most powerful apologist in our person after person after person who set out to stop this whole business of Jesus Christ because they were hostile skeptics and all they did was study the facts and all of a sudden they became humble believers. I've told you several times, that's the most frustrating thing to me about being a minister, is that if we could just get people to examine the evidence, there's more facts written about what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. It split our history in half, for heaven's sakes, A.D. and B.C., that uh, so many facts that people just investigate, they would find the truth very quickly. And if you're here today and you're still kind of skeptical about this whole Easter business, I'm challenging you, give it three hours. Put the Bible up and just study history and see what happened. Hundreds of people saw him after his resurrection. And if you could see some of the explanations we've come up with to explain that away, it's laughable. And if you just spend three hours looking into this, you would become like this centurion. You'd never be the same again. You would find this power to change the way you think, power the way, the, the way you live. It's amazing what's going on. There's an old Turkish proverb that says, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, you can turn back. Lastly, I want to look at these two other bystanders of the cross, Joseph and Nicodemus. These two were transformed from secret disciples to powerful, bold witnesses of Jesus. This is an amazing story. John 19, 38, 39, 39 reads, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked, Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took away the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus had brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. These two guys were part of the most powerful council at the time, the Sanhedrin. There were 70 men. So they're very influential. They're very powerful. Uh, they're very well off. And they're followers of Jesus, but from a distance. You know anybody like that? They're in, but not really in, you know what I mean? Because the rest of the Sanhedrin... They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He came from the other side of the tracks, for heaven's sakes, from Nazareth. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. No, he, he just wasn't going to fit in. But Joseph and Nicodemus were shadow followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, it tells us in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus at night 
Obviously, he didn't want to be caught seen with Jesus in broad daylight. In John chapter 7, verse 51, uh, when the Sanhedrin first met, or our first recorded meeting where they met to plot against Jesus, it was Nicodemus who very timidly said, uh, fellas, do we condemn a man? Does our law condemn a man without first looking into things? He wasn't quite bold enough to say, I think this is the Messiah. He timidly said, well, let's, let's look things over. And, of course, they responded to him, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that no prophet comes from Galilee. So he was a fence-sitter, trying to make both sides happy, trying to get along with the world and get along with Jesus. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Kind of like our politicians today. Are they incredible? You, you know, I don't, I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. The stuff that's going on in Washington right now, any, any issue you want to pull up, pull up the Mueller uh, thing, which has just been a joke. But you look at one side of this thing, and, and uh, people who said something 20 years ago are saying something different today, and people are saying stuff uh, today, says stuff, you know what I'm saying? Both sides of the coin. They are typical politicians trying to make everybody happy. That's where Nicodemus and Joseph were. I think I've told you this before, but... This is classic. Um, Everett Denniston was a, uh, he was a young candidate for Congress in Illinois several years ago. This is during Prohibition and Repeal days. And they tried to back this guy in the corner on what his stance was with the issue. And he said, while just last evening, while my wife was finishing up her needlepoint of the American flag, we had a long conversation about this issue. And I said to her, and I say to you today, without hesitation or qualification, that some of my friends are for prohibition and some of my friends are for repeal. I say, let the chips fall where they may. I stand with my friends. That is Nicodemus and Joseph playing both sides, really for Jesus, but as long as it didn't cost him anything. But then they bumped into the cross. They saw what he went through and saw how he went through it. And all of a sudden, they turned into bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. We waited too long, they said. We put this off way too long. It's time for us to save our soul and not our skin. And I wonder when that day came, if when they lifted Jesus up, if Nicodemus remembered what Jesus said to him in John chapter 3, when Jesus said, just like Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness, so when the Son of Man is lifted up, all men will draw to him, and that's how they'll be saved. For God so loved the world, he he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believed in him would not perish. I wonder if he thought about that scripture as they lifted Jesus up. The Gospel of Mark says that uh, Joseph went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Boldly. He went from a secret disciple to a bold witness. I want the body. Now you've got to understand, this was a gruesome, grueling job to take a bloody body off a cross and wrap it up and put it in a tomb. This is not something that rich people from the Sanhedrin did. But they had determined that whatever they needed to do to give glory to Jesus was worth more than their dignity. And I'm asking, how about us? Can we still sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, where the Bible tells me so, with our children? Or have we become so sophisticated and so wise in all of our learnings and college skills that we just can't do that anymore? Like we talked about last week in our celebration, jumping up and down and dancing. Can you get down on your knees when we sing songs about bowing down to Him? Can you raise hands and praise Him when we're singing some of the songs that we sing? Are you just too dignified to do that in a crowd like this? See, it makes you think, doesn't it? This was also a sacrificial task. 
The law said if you touched a dead body, you were unclean, which means you couldn't participate in the Passover, which means as soon as these two did that, they couldn't sit around the table with their family for the Passover like you're going to do today with your family for Easter. But they had determined that giving glory to Jesus and taking care of His needs was worth more than even their family. Ouch. How about us? When's the last time you were set with the choice of putting the needs of Christ and His kingdom first or your wife and children? Or your husband and children? See, it's just tough. This was a costly task too. Graves weren't cheap. Neither were the spices and the linen. But they had determined that giving Christ glory after what He had done for them was worth more than their money. I'm just saying, church. It was also a risky task. Everybody knew who took that body down. Everybody knew whose grave it was in. Can you imagine the next meeting of the Sanhedrin? Can you believe Joseph and Nicodemus? I bet they've secretly followed that guy for years. So disappointed in them. What a couple of traitors. But by now it doesn't matter. They had watched Jesus at the cross and become bold witnesses. The transforming power of the cross should turn every one of us in here into bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 3, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Once you see Jesus Christ on the cross, unashamedly, giving His life for you, that should cause you to give anything you need to do to lift up His name to the people around you. I was so impressed with the NCAA this year, player after player and coach after coach, winning and in defeat, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ when this thing was over. Boldly lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, unashamedly. And that should be you and I when we see what He's done for us. And I've seen that at this church in the last 30 plus years. People who 15, 20 years ago, you would have never dreamed that they would lead a small group or they would get up front and make an announcement or that they would pray publicly or that they would lead a a, a team or they would become a deacon or an elder or, or preach a sermon in here. And if you'd have told them they'd have done that 20 years ago, they'd have laughed into your face. But they've seen and been around the transforming power of Jesus Christ and they realize what He did for them and they'll do whatever it takes to give Him glory. And that should be us at school, at work, at Walmart. Jesus said, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his Father and his holy angels in all his glory. Family, I'm telling you, when you focus on this and tune into this, what he did for you, you'll become a bold witness of Jesus Christ. And we're living in days where that's got to happen. I've always thought it's strange that we can just say the cross and everybody knows what we're talking about. Isn't that something? I mean, we would never just say the gun or the gallows or the electric chair and expect somebody to know who we were talking about because there had been thousands of people killed by the gun and the, and, and the electric chair and the gallows. And yet, we expect people to know what we're talking about when we say the cross, even though there's been thousands of people, that, thousands of crosses that have died. But you know what the difference is, don't you? It's Jesus. See, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those of us who are being saved, this is the power of God. This is the power of God. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. The power to transform who we are. I've seen it. I've felt it. The power to transform us from mortal to immortal. This is good stuff.
It's also interesting that in that statement, that one statement, Paul separates all of humanity into one or two groups. There are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And that's it. There's no middle ground. And you need to understand that he doesn't make that comment to try to push people to make a a decision on Easter Sunday. This is not some uh, statement that he's making to try to manipulate you emotionally to do something this morning. This is just an observational statement of fact. Everybody in here is going to live forever. You don't have a choice in that. You're an eternal creature. You're either going to live forever with God or you're going to live forever without Him. That's the way it is. And that means in this moment right now, you are either moving towards God and everything that is holy and wonderful and righteous and good, or you're moving the other way. This is your day. This is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is your time to spend at the altar at your seat.